Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Well, this morning, as Nathan's already said, we're turning our thoughts to the fruit of goodness, the virtue, the quality of being good. But what is a good person? I think that's something that everyone in our world uh, wants to know. I think it probably drives the single biggest fears, single biggest questions, the single biggest anxieties of our world stem from the question, am I a good person? Am I a person of goodness? It's a question our world keeps asking, and it's a question our world finds it ever increasingly hard to answer. It strikes me that more than ever, people want to be thought of as good people. We want to be thought of. We want people to think that we are good people. But each day we become less certain of what goodness really is. Our world's confused, and if we're honest in the church, we can be confused too. What is good? What is bad? It seems to be changing. The word good is used in our society so much, it's so broad. I've heard it at least 15 times this morning already. Huge range of ways. A few I've heard this week. Isn't it good that England's women's football team won the European Championships? But then again, someone's marriage breaking down was described as a good thing because it gave them freedom. 
I asked my son Jacob if he wanted some pudding, and he said, no, thank you, I'm good. Strange boy. <laughs> Giving money to charity is a good thing. Recycling is a good thing. Celebrating pride was apparently a good thing. Lying to someone so you don't hurt their feelings. Apparently that was a good thing. Yet seeing a steam train chugging along on a late night walk, that was a good thing. So many different ways. At one point in the last week, I, I turned to my Google Home and I said, am I a good person? Google's response, well, I like you. <laughs> is that right? Is that, it's a little snippet into our world's views, isn't it? If other people like me, I must be a good person. But is that right? A quick search on Google turned up endless articles. Apparently, um, good people um, call their parents regularly. They smile lots. They always find the positives in any situation, no matter how bad. They remember their manners. They're generous. They're polite. They give compliments. They're tolerant people. Now, those are all good things. But do they make us good people? And what happens when we don't do them? When we slip up, are we suddenly bad? There are so many voices out there telling us what good and bad are these days. It's hard to know what's right. Is goodness what we want it to be? Do we get to define it? Does it change day by day, generation by generation? Well, this morning we're going to see that the heart of goodness is found solely in the goodness of God, revealed in the Bible. So as we start to answer this question this morning, let's turn to the Bible and see the goodness of God the goodness of God. But it doesn't take long in the Bible to come across goodness, does it? Right there on page one, if you opened Genesis chapter one, you'd see the word good seven times. God creates the world, day and night, land and sea, birds and animals, humans. And every time, he looks at what he's done and he says it's good. In Genesis Chapter 1, verse 31, the end of the chapter, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. When you boil God down right to his core, when you strip everything else away, what you are left with is God's goodness. Everything God is, everything God does, everything God says springs from the fact that he is good in every single way. He defines goodness. And the unfolding story of the Bible is an invitation to come and get to know the good God. To be invited into a relationship with the God, the good God of the universe. But what is goodness? I've put Exodus 33 verse 19 on the screen where here Moses is asking God to show him his glory. He's a bit nervous about who God is, and this is God's response. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Moses asked God to show him his glory the heart of who he is. And God says his whole goodness is going to pass before him. Moses asks, and God delivers. He tells us what goodness is. God's goodness is found in his loving, merciful, generous graciousness. 
Because he is good, he loves compassionately whoever he chooses. Because he is good, he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. Because he is good, he shows grace. He gives abundant good gifts and blessings. This is who God is, right at the core. This is the God of goodness. And in Psalm 34, we meet someone who very much knows how God is. If you close your Bibles, do turn it back. It's on page 561. And here we find David. King Saul is trying to kill him. David's run away to the land of the Philistines. He's gone to the city of Gath. And he's in so much danger that he realizes the only way to save his life is to pretend to be insane so the Philistines are going to ignore him and let him in, leave him in peace. He's in deep, deep trouble. And yet look at his song in verse 1. He sings, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Here David is running for his life, but he has no doubt about his relationship with God, does he? God is to be praised. God is to be glorified, which is code for saying that David wants everyone to recognize how good God is. He calls those around him, folk who are afflicted, who are struggling, who are suffering, to join with him, to join in his song, praising God. And he gives a great reason for his confidence, doesn't he? In verse 4, did you see it? He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. When David's life was in danger, when he knew he was a poor man, when he was in deep, deep trouble, he sought the Lord. He looked for him, he called out to God, and God heard him. God answered him. God covered his shame. God sent his angel to deliver him from danger, to rescue him. David knows the deep joy of knowing God, of knowing his saving power of being rescued by his mighty hand. And he wants everyone else to know it too. So he calls those who hear him. To those who are listening to him, he says, who might be going through a similar trial, he, he, he calls out for them to, he, to recognize their need for rescue. And to do that, he says a very strange thing. Did you see it in verse 8? David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. It sounds so strange, doesn't it? How do you taste goodness? How do you taste God? Is it a double McDonald's Happy Meal? Is it a deliciously cooked barbecued tomahawk steak? Is it smashed avocado on toast? Apparently that's a good thing. How do you taste God? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the idea that God is a place of nourishment 
He is the provider of all that, our, all that is good. Provider of all that our souls need. Just think of God providing the good garden of Eden with trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. A place of delight for Adam and Eve. When Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, God continually fed them. God continually provided water. He continually ensured that their clothes did not wear out. God ensured that they knew he was good. So that they will listen to his good words, the words of life. Time and time again, God proves that he is the one that provides everything we need. Nourishment for our soul for our bodies, for our minds. And David wants us to taste his goodness. He wants us to give God a lick, to dig into God, to give him a try, to rely on him, to take refuge in him and see how good he really is. And he tells us what that looks like. It starts with fearing God. Now that's not um, a fear like you might be afraid of spiders or heights. It's respect. It's honoring him like we would a teacher at school. But put God, the challenge is to put God in the right place in our lives. Put him in the right place and everything falls into place. Do you see what David says in verse 8 again? Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Those who fear him lack nothing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God's blessing is an invitation to live the life we were made for. Living life with him as king taking our steps in the world, knowing that we know the king of the universe. That we understand the way the world was made, the way the world works. It's intended to run. And the promise of blessing that awaits us when we reach the end of our lives. Whilst the lions, the strong, grow weak and hungry, the poor and the lowly lack no good thing. It's a beautiful turnaround. Life as God intended it. And David tells us how to access this life. If you look at verse 11, he sings, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The route to the good life comes through listening to God, through hearing his words and learning the fear of the Lord. God's words are good. In Hebrews 6, Christians are described as people who have tasted the goodness of the words of God. And so if, like me, you sometimes pick up your Bible and it's a bit of a chore, it's a job to get through, then we need to repent. We need to change our attitudes, reshape our minds. In the Bible, we hold in our hands the very good words of our very good God who longs for our good. And listening to these good words will change our lives from evil, causing us to do a Godward turn, doing good instead of evil, pursuing peace instead of war. And we'll start to see that bear fruit in all areas of our lives. David picks up on our speech, but as we'll think about later, it will impact every single area. God promises a rescue 
a restoration to those who call on his name. And if you glance down at the last few verses of the psalm, David gives us such good pictures of what that rescue looks like. In verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, he delivers them from all their troubles. In verse 18, he is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those that are crushed in spirit. Verse 19, it doesn't matter our troubles. God will deliver us from them all. Verse 20, he protects us. Verse 21, he condemns our enemies. Verse 22, he rescues his servants. And no one who takes refuge in him will ever be condemned. Such beautiful language, isn't it? Such a good picture of life. Now, I don't know how your week's been, the things that we've been struggling with, the frustrations of children misbehaving, the sorrow of illness, both in our own lives and in those we love, the stress of work deadlines, the worry of unemployment, battles with mental health or anxiety, frustration at not managing more rest, frustration at not feeling like you're a good person. We hold in our hands the life-giving words of God. And we have a God who is wonderfully, wonderfully good. We have a God who invites us to taste him, to test him, so he can prove time and time and time again how good he really is. A God who promises that whatever our troubles, however hard things are, he will bring us through. A God who hears us, a God who loves us, and a God who wants to do us good. So keep persevering, keep pushing into God, keep sinking our teeth into him, chewing over his word. Because he is a good, good God, he shows us that we are not good people, but we are people that need a great rescue, which is our second point this morning, the good rescuer. God is a good rescuer, which is vital because we desperately need rescuing. We got a glimpse of the problem earlier in Exodus 33, didn't we? Moses shows, God shows Moses all of his goodness, but he says, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God is a good God, but we are not good people. If we want to enjoy the deep nourishing relationship God offers, then we need to be rescued. We're going to turn now to Ephesians 2 together and read that. Um, It's on page uh, 1174. I'll just give you a moment to find out. We're going to turn to Ephesians 2 and to see the good rescue of God. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. 
because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mankind needs a rescue because of what we were. Did you see verse 1? In our natural state, we're described as dead. Our transgressions and sins cut us off from life, cut us off from God. In our natural state, we are dead. And dead people cannot be good people. Look at how Paul describes us in verse 2. He followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the devil. And filled by his evil spirit. Anti-God, anti-good, disobedient, self-obsessed, living for ourselves, doing what, is, doing what we want. These people may well be doing lots of things, but they're all pointing to the facts that we were dead. By nature, we deserve God's wrath, his anger, his judgment. We cannot be good because we are cut off from God, and dead people cannot save themselves. If we need more proof as to what we're like, listen to Paul's summary in Romans 3 on the screen. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. If we're a Christian this morning, this is what we were. If you're not yet trusting Jesus this morning, then this is what you are. And it's not something we like to think about, is it? Not a way that we like to think of ourselves, not a way that we like to think of those we love. To think of those who don't know Jesus as evil, as bad. We don't like to think about it. And if that's you this morning, then I'm thrilled you're here. Thrilled you're here to hear um, what Jesus has to say. Because we need to know this to accept his rescue. Can I urge you to, to listen to God's words? It's not comfortable. It's not easy. But we need to hear these words of life. Hear God's call to goodness to be rescued. Now, it'd be wrong to say that those who aren't yet trusting Jesus cannot do good things. We know they can. We experience it in our everyday lives, don't we? But just like Gareth's milk last week, skimmed milk instead of Royal Jersey Gold Top Cream, they're good things but they're not coming from good people. Jesus sums it up well in Matthew 7 on the screen, where he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus calls the crowds, the people that he's speaking to, evil. But he acknowledges that they do do good things. They are capable of some good acts. And we know this is true, don't we? Children, has your dad ever given you a stone to eat for breakfast? Probably not, no. Have you ever been given a snake instead of fish and chips? No, no. Because we are made by a good God, even though we've turned to evil, even though uh, we have turned away from him. Those good things do still live in us. Um, but those things will tend to be thin. They'll tend to be serving and self-motivated, reserved for those people that we love. They will lack the lavish, generous, gracious, merciful goodness of God. Jesus isn't saying that doing kind deeds for someone or giving money to charity or feeding the poor are bad things. He's saying they are good things, but they all fall far short of the goodness of God. They're a pale imitation. They're a plaster trying to cover the evil inside. Or a wet paper towel that at school seemed to cover every single bump and bruise and scrape. It's a bit like the cartoon from the 19th century. A bishop is having people round for tea and he serves his guest an egg. As it's cracked open, they discover that it's completely rotten. The bishop's shocked and apologizes. He says, I'm afraid you've got a bad egg. And his guest, who's a curate, replies, Oh no, my lord, parts of it are excellent. It's a good picture of us, isn't it? A good picture of us, utterly rotten to the core, but with tiny good patches. Our world wants us to focus on those tiny good things, those tiny patches of good, and ignore the mass of evil. But because God is good... Because Jesus wants us to accept his rescue, he shows us who we really are. Shows us we're deserving of God's judgment, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of hell. A place where all the goodness of God is removed completely. But God in Ephesians, Paul doesn't stop at God's wrath, does he? Because of God's goodness, he celebrates Jesus' rescue. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God's goodness is all there, isn't it? His loving, merciful, generous graciousness. He rescues us through Jesus. Brings us death from death to life, from evil to good, from wrath to salvation. Transforms us from evil people capable of a little good to good people who do occasional bad things. And it's all by faith. All through trusting Jesus, through accepting his offer of rescue. It's all achieved through Jesus. And Jesus' life and words were a megaphone of God's goodness, weren't they? Everywhere he went, everything he did, everything he said was utterly beautifully good. As he goes around teaching, we see the reversal of the curse. Sick people become healed. Blind people start to see. 
deaf people hear. The paralyzed walk, the deaf, the dead are raised to life. And nowhere is that more clear. Nowhere is God's goodness more clear than when he dies hanging on a cross outside Jerusalem. Jesus' complete goodness led him to lay his life down for his enemies, for people that hated him, people that had turned their back on God, those who deserve nothing but his judgment. And I wonder sometimes if our thinking about our forgiveness, our thinking about God's goodness falls too short. Far too often I find myself thinking about the goodness of the cross being found solely in the fact that I can be forgiven, that on the cross my sins are forgiven, that the punishment I deserve is gone, and that is good. But that is only half the story. At the cross, Jesus not only takes, uh, gives us forgiveness, takes our punishment, he gives us his goodness too. And that's what Paul wants us to see in the rest of Ephesians 2. Did you see? Look at verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In his goodness, God not only forgives us, but he brings us close. He seats us in heaven, in Christ. In his goodness, we are brought into Christ. All God's goodness is shown to us. Why does he want to rescue us? Well, it's, it's so that he can show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God has rescued us so that we can know his goodness, so that we can experience life with him as king, life as we were made for, the good life. It's a promise not just for now. It's a promise for life everlasting. We deserve wrath and hell. But he offers us life with him, where everything is good, where everything is pure, where there is not even a hint of evil and sadness. And this is all God's good work. God's goodness means that he does everything. Because dead people can't do anything for themselves, can they? It's his gift so that we can never boast about ourselves. And he saved us for good things. He's given us a new purpose. Look how Paul finished in verse 10. Paul says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's good rescue gives us good purpose. When we are rescued by God, when we put our trust in Jesus, We are transformed and given a new job. We become God's handymen. Christians are the way that God has chosen to work out his good in our world today. We've been recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works in him. That might 
seem like a lot of responsibility. That might seem quite scary. But the good thing in God's goodness is that he's already prepared us for these things. And he's prepared the things. Every day, God gives us opportunities to be a blessing to our world. He speaks to speak his life-giving words. To care for those who are struggling. To lift up the needy. To love the unloved. God has made us his mouth, his hands, his feet to show his goodness to a dying world. What a great privilege and joy that is. And it's all worked out from our relationship with God. A couple of David's Psalms give a beautiful picture of this. In Psalm 23, David sings, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Psalm 27, David sings, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are brought from death to life, transformed from evil to good. In one sense, that change is instant. God looks at us and we are changed from evil to good. So often, it doesn't feel like that, does it? In our experience here and now, we can often worry that we're not the good people that God has made us to be. But God transforms us in an instance. But in our experience, we see a gradual reshaping, a gradual growing fruitiness, gradually being transformed day by day, week by week, year by year, into God's goodness into Jesus' goodness as we live under his kingship. So as we conclude, let's reflect on growing in goodness. Well, hopefully we've seen this morning that God is good and goodness is found solely in God, shown in his lavish, loving, merciful, generous graciousness. In our natural state, we are evil people, only capable of occasional good things. But because of Jesus' death, God's goodness transforms us, brings us from death to life, from judgment into the courts of the king, where we can live good lives as God intended, where we can be a force for good in the world. What's that going to look like? Um, So, so many things. Um, I've got a few uh, thoughts to, to start us off. But this conversation will continue over tea and coffee and out into the week. I think firstly, I think it means tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. If you're not yet a Christian this morning, hopefully you've seen in God's word the goodness of God. Can I invite you to do what David says, to taste, to take up the challenge, to taste and see that the Lord is good? It can be hard to admit that we are not the good people we want to think of ourselves. But God is utterly, beautifully good. And his greatest desire is for us, for you to see this for yourself. To join us in declaring his glorious goodness. So taste him for yourself. Dig into the Bible. Keep coming to church. Keep asking questions. Why not ask someone to read the Bible with you? 
it's a great place to, because on every single page, you will get to see God's goodness. And if we are Christians this morning, we too need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We too need to dig into God. If we walk with God a while, we can often become complacent. We can forget his goodness. I know I need to change my thinking on God's word time and time again. To remember that God's word contains soul-nourishing goodness. That it contains every verse, everything we need to grow us. To grow us up, to feed us, to enrich us. God's word is the means he drives change in our lives. As his spirit works in us. It is the power to change as, as Peter says. In chapter 2, I've put it on the screen. Peter says, Therefore, because of God's goodness, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Taste that the Lord is good. Grow up into our salvation. Secondly, I think we need to rejoice in God's goodness. Rejoice in God's goodness because we have been called into a glorious relationship with him. Spend time reflecting on God's goodness together. The Israelites in 2 Chronicles 6, they sing a song that says, Now arise, Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. As we see God's goodness more and more, it should cause us to rejoice. The more I've reflected on God's goodness, it's caused me to rejoice. That we have been called into a relationship with the good God of the universe. So often our eyes are filled with the things of this world. So often our sight gets clouded. But above all the trials of our world is a God of goodness who works for our good. And in Christ we have an intimate relationship with him. So rejoice. Thirdly, I think it will lead us to pray for goodness. Pray for goodness in others. In 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. That's such a great prayer, isn't it? A great prayer to pray for ourselves. A great prayer to pray for those in our church family, those all over the world, that God might work his power to bring us to fruitier goodness. So pray for goodness. Fourthly, I think we need to get ready to live out life as God's handiwork, to recognize the good people that we now are, that God has made us, and strive to strive to live good lives for him. God's rescued us. God's freed us. He's prepared good works for us to do. So let's get on and do them. In his power, in his strength, let us get on and do the good works that he has prepared for us to do. 
And fifthly, I think be prepared for the world to call us the bad guys. Peter warns in us in 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Be prepared as we seek to be God's handiwork in the world. The world are going to hate us. The world are going to speak maliciously against us. They're going to be against us. But we're called to be good anyway. To do good anyway. So brothers and sisters, let us grow into our goodness. So often, I think we're tempted to think of ourselves, as Paul describes himself, as the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. But I want to encourage us with Paul's words in Romans 15. This is just a few chapters after he said there is no one good, no one righteous. He says in Romans 15 verse 14, it's on the screen, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Just chapters laughter, he said there is no one good, no one righteous, no one who can do good. Here, because of the majestic work of Jesus, because of the transforming power of the cross, Paul can write to this church that he is convinced, he is certain that they are full of goodness, fully good. And I know he could write that to our church family too. How does he know? How does Paul know this? Because he says they are filled with the knowledge of God. They know God's words. They love God's words. And they are capable and competent to instruct one another. Now don't get caught up on that word instructs. It doesn't mean that this is solely reserved for people standing in a pulpit preaching or leading Bible studies. In Paul's eyes, in God's eyes, those who are full of goodness know who God truly is. And they simply seek to tell others about him. Which is something we can all grow to do, can't we? Something we can all grow to do more and more. It springs from our knowledge of God. So as we chew deeply on him, and then speak to your own hearts, speak to your family, speak to our friends, speak to the world. Join with David in his great song of Psalm 34, where he sings, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to stand together and exalt his name together. Let's pray. Father God. We thank you so much that you are good. Thank you that you have revealed your goodness to us in your word. Thank you 
that you have rescued us through your good son. Thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you sent Jesus to give us life. Thank you that we can share in God's goodness, in Jesus' goodness, that we can trust in his rescue, that we can put on your goodness and be freed from our evil. Father God, please help us. Help us to know your goodness better. Help us to work in us, Father, as we seek to live out life as your good people. Please be at work in our hearts. Please be at work in our thoughts. Please be at work in our words and in our actions, changing us, transforming us day by day. Father, we pray that many, many, many people would join us in tasting and seeing that you are good and take refuge in you. Amen.